We're in the book of the uh, book of Psalms. We're in the 119th Psalm tonight, the 119th Psalm, if you'd open your uh, Bibles there. And then after you've found the 119th Psalm, why don't you find also Matthew 11 and just mark it somehow where later on about 9 o'clock tonight we can all turn there together. Uh, so the 119th Psalm. <clears throat> I believe it'd be good if we stand and read uh, the 119th Psalm here. Uh, no, no, not the whole thing. I'm sorry. The, the, where I have it marked, 161, verse 161. 119th Psalm, 161. The psalmist says, uh, Princes have persecuted me without a cause. But my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. Now, I'm not going to necessarily deal with the entire uh, section here, these seven verses, um, but uh, we could, because what we're going to focus on in verse number uh, 165, everything that is said before and after is directly related to this. And I want you to read the 161st, uh, <laughs> I'm not used to this many numbers for a verse, 165th verse uh, aloud with me. Would you do that? Everybody read in unison together. Ready? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. One more time for emphasis. I know many of you are already aware of this verse and know it. Let's do it one more time. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. The title of the sermon is, A Great Way to Live. A Great Way to Live. Father, we are grateful tonight for, well, just thinking upon the song, for your son Jesus, for the fact that he was willing to come, and that he was willing to take our place, be our substitute, and become sin, the sin bearer for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Thank you so much. Reconciled. That's the word that the Apostle Paul majored upon there, reconciled. We're so grateful that Jesus came to reconcile us to you. Instead of enmity, fellowship, communion, your children, God, thank you so much. May we never, ever get over the joy and the gift of salvation. Now, I pray that you bless our time in the Word. Uh, I do know that this passage is maybe to some very familiar, maybe to others not so familiar. Uh, I know also, dear God, that as we pass through this life, as we walk, through this life that we definitely need the teaching that surrounds this passage in order to have peace, yea, beyond peace, great peace, according to thy word. So I pray that you would help me, give me clarity of thought and mind, and I pray also for the men and women and the young people that have assembled here in this place tonight. I pray that all the things that may have pressed upon uh, some that are assembled here, the affairs of the day may have been difficult or hard to deal with. I pray that they would be put in their proper place right now so that 
attention might be given to the word. I know that there are also perhaps uh, some that are facing maybe a difficult circumstance or situation or decision tomorrow. I pray that that too would be put in its place and that you would have our full attention. And might you accomplish your purpose and may your Holy Spirit work in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. You may be seated. Now I'm going to go over here and if I can get you to use your imagination, I'm just going to start walking across here. And this is supposed to symbolize our journey through life. Okay, so I mean, I understand I'm in a very limited situation here, one end of the uh, platform to the other end of the platform, but it symbolizes uh, our journey through life. Let's say since you got saved. So for some, that would be not that long ago, and you're still relatively early in your journey, perhaps. For others, been saved a long, long time, uh, you're down the road a ways in the journey. And so as I walk along, I want to walk with God, I want the favor of God, I want the blessings of God, I am saved, I am God's child. And as I'm walking along through life, it is inevitable, but that along the way there is an adversary, he's hiding right back there, and he has a stick in his hand called a trip stick, or a trap stick, go either way. And he sticks it out, and before I know it, in my younger years, I would have demonstrated it and hit the floor and uh, made a lot of noise. I just don't feel like doing that anymore. But, uh, but if you can just use your imagination, I'm walking along here, and all of a sudden, there is something that is there in the way, and I trip and I go down to the ground. I've done this before. I, I've done it not trying to illustrate anything. I've just had it happen. And go down to the floor, and I'm, I mean, it hurts. It's embarrassing. It's not fun. So, but we're going through life and our circumstances in life become such that we are caught off guard by something and the next thing you know, we are tripped up and we are down. We are down. And let's say that it is so hurtful, it is so hard, it is so painful, it is so embarrassing, should we say humiliating, it is so humiliating that we've decided, I'm just, I'm just not going anymore. Because there might be more of them. And since this happened, the journey pretty much stops. And the progress ceases. And they refuse to walk on with the Lord. In, in Desiring to please the Lord. Desiring the favor of the Lord. Desiring communion with God. Let's say that I just stop right here and say, that that hurt so bad, it was so degrading or humiliating or embarrassing, it was so painful, I'm I'm just not, I'm not going to risk that anymore, and I stop the journey. Stop right there. All right? In the Bible, the word for that is offense. That's the word, or offend. So that if you take a definition of the word offense, or the word offend, as we have here in our text, the word just simply means a trap stick or a trip stick. Occasion to fall. It means a stumbling block. It means an obstacle. The word is offense. Now Jesus taught his disciples about offenses. We're not going to turn there. I I can just give them to you. You can check them out later. Luke 17, 1. Jesus said, it is impossible that offense, but that offenses will come. Now he is discipling his disciples. And he says to them, basically, that in your followership of me, and as you pass through on your journey of following me, Jesus is saying to his disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. Come. Now that's what he taught his disciples. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about uh, people of faith all through the Bible, many of whom are our heroes. And I made a list of our Bible heroes that, um, that went through their fellowship of God, or they went through their walk and their journey, 
and never had offense. Never had any surprises. Never had anything that could trip them up. I made a list of all of them. There it is, right there. I mean, that, that's literally it. And Bible readers know that's so. You've been saved a while and you've made it your business to live in the Bible some. You know that's so. There is no one on the list that walked through this life that we might consider an example of, or be find in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, these people of faith, there's not a one of them, but what through the course of their life, there was that which would trip them or could take them down or could stop them an obstacle, a stumbling block, and then they had a choice to make. Get up and go on or stop right there. Okay, now that's what Jesus said. Listen to the words again. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. He said in Matthew chapter 18, 7, listen to this. It must needs be that offenses come. Now, he's still teaching his disciples, and he says it just a little bit different by Matthew's record. And he said, it must needs be. In other words, offenses in a fallen world are necessary. In a sinful and evil and fallen world, they are necessary. What do you mean necessary? Well, it means that God has a purpose for them happening. That God himself may not be the one who puts the trip stick out there, but God does allow it to happen in his providence, in his sovereignty. He allows it to happen, and it happens for a reason. For a reason. Now, I started to make a list of those that are our heroes of the faith who did have obstacles along the way. Who did have occasion to fall along the way. But I decided rather just to say, every Bible hero, non-exempt, everyone in the course of their fellowship of God, or their fellowship in the case of the disciples of Jesus, every one of them in the course, there was that which could trip them, or that could cause them to stumble, or that could take them down, and then they had a choice to make whether to get up and go on, or to stop right there. And you and I both know that there were some that stopped. And there were some that did not stop. We understand that. So basically there's two things you and I are supposed to get out of what Jesus taught about offenses. Number one, you should not expect complete cooperation from every angle in your fellowship of Jesus Christ. You should not expect that. That everybody is going to cooperate. Every uh, circumstance is going to be favorable. Every condition is going to be just right and enable you to follow Jesus Christ. You should not expect that. We are not going to get complete cooperation. We live in a uh, fallen world. There is an adversary and his name is the devil. And there is the enemy that is called the world. And there is the adversary that is also our flesh that we are living in till we get that glorified body or till we pass from this life, I'm just saying that you should not expect that if you're going to determine to follow Jesus, maybe it'd be good not to listen to some of the health and wealth, prosperity, positive thinking garbage that's being preached or trying to pass off as preaching uh, that are on many of the preaching uh, networks and stations and such as that. Maybe you ought not to pay attention to that. Maybe you ought to pay to what Jesus said and just remember that if you're going to follow him, offenses will come. It's impossible, but that they do. They will come. The second one we point that we should understand is we should expect opposition from every angle. Don't expect that it's not going to happen. Do expect that it is going to happen. Now, how does this sound with the title? A great way to live. And what does he do? He tells us, what do you think? You're going to have it easy? What do you think? There aren't going to be trip sticks along the way or obstacles along the way? What do you think? That God's not going to allow that to happen and use it for you, not to against you when those things happen in the life of a child of God? He always means it for us, not to destroy us. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And so I say the title is, 
a great way to live and then try to assure everybody that would follow Jesus, look out. Because there are going to be obstacles. There is an adversary. There is an enemy. Your flesh will fail you. You can stumble. You can fall. You're going to have choices to make whether to quit at that point because of the pain or because of the humiliation or because of the failure or because of the embarrassment or because of just the act or the experience itself is so uh, difficult to deal with. you got decisions to make. You're going to stop right there or are you going to go on? Somebody might be saying, thanks a lot, Brother Sam. I think I'll go home and listen to Joel Osteen. He wouldn't talk like this. No, he wouldn't. But if he was a true preacher, he would. That's for sure. Now, <clears throat> I want you to open your Bibles with me too. Now, don't lose your place here because we're coming back to 119th Psalm. But go to Matthew chapter 11. See how fast we're moving? Because I thought it might be 9 o'clock before we get there. So we're moving right along here. But I want you to look at Matthew chapter 11. This is an astounding passage. And if I'd have done what I wanted to do tonight, I would have just preached out of this text. But that's not what I felt like I was supposed to do. But I am, uh, am going to use this text. And if you look in verse number 1 of Matthew 11, uh, many of you are familiar with, maybe others not, but follow along verse 1 came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. Now if I can have your attention here just a little bit, let's explain what's going on. John the Baptist has already preached out in the wilderness. The day came when he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And there he baptized Jesus. Jesus then led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. We preached about that on Sunday night. And how that he was tempted of the devil. And then after that the devil departed from him for a season, angels ministered unto him. And then Jesus began to gather his disciples and he began his public ministry. And so by the time we come to Matthew chapter 11, he has chosen the disciples. By the time we come to Matthew chapter 11, he is into his public ministry. But something has happened to John the Baptist. What happened was that Herod Antipas, he was the, uh, uh, the uh, tetrarch or he was the governor over Galilee and, and over uh, uh, Decapolis, that other area near Galilee there. Uh, he had a brother by the name of Philip that was over Ituria and Trachonitus, his brother. And they got called away to Rome, no doubt, so that they could give an, a, a report about their governorship in, in, uh, in Jewry. So while they are gone on this trip, uh, Herod Antipas seduces his brother Philip's wife. When they come back from this trip from Rome, then Herod divorces his wife and takes his brother Philip's wife to be his wife. Now, we know when things like this happen in, you know, big public life, like it happens in the royal family in England, uh, all the media and everything acts like everybody in the world is really interested in that stuff, you know, so it makes big news. Well, this would have made big news back then. You take uh, political leaders or places, people in places of authority, and they are found in infidelity. It's juicy news for all kinds of uh, 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 fake uh, news type of outlets as well as the major media and such as that, and it gets everybody's attention. Well, don't you think this didn't get attention in Jewry because you have Herod Antipas who divorces his wife and takes his brother Philip's wife. Wow, this is really something. And everybody had their opinion about it. And uh, probably there were some that were... Uh, disgusted by it. There are others that said, well, you know, if they loved each other, you know, the Hollywood type stuff and all of that. And so there were all these varying opinions. And so John the Baptist, who was a man filled with the Holy Spirit of God, I'm not, a, I'm not among those who believe he shouldn't have said anything to, to tell you the truth. He was a man spirit filled from his mother's womb. And so John the Baptist felt compelled that he ought to weigh in on the situation and he had audience uh, with Herod and he said to him, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother Philip's wife. In other words, it doesn't matter what the media is saying and it doesn't matter what popular opinion is or what the latest polls say. It doesn't matter that before God, it is not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. And he got thrown in jail. And he was in jail a spell. While, while he's in jail, Jesus has begun his miracle working ministry. 
amazing things are happening. In fact, there were larger crowds that were coming to where Jesus was, no doubt because of the miracles, as well as his teaching as the Son of God. But because of the miracles, we know they attracted a lot of attention. Come on, we know that. They started bringing people from everywhere uh, so that they might be touched, might be healed. Plus, they ate bread. They wanted some more of that bread. And, and so the great multitudes were coming, and John is in prison. And the imprisonment lasts, no doubt, unquestionably longer than John thought. I'm sure that he must have had it in his mind, having been on the very center stage of what God was doing on this earth, and that is preparing the way for the Messiah, and then being on center stage when he actually introduced the Messiah and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And he goes from being on center, sta center stage of everything that God was doing that mattered in this world, and he goes from that to solitude, isolation. He's not only not on center stage, he's not even on the stage. Jesus is out here teaching and preaching. And multitudes upon multitudes are coming to hear him. And John gets reports. Here in our text, look in verse number 2. He sent two of his disciples and said unto him, John sent two disciples and said unto him, unto Jesus, to me, these are some of the most astounding words in the New Testament. Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Whoa. I said, whoa. Uh, John? Asking, art thou he that should come? Did any of you ever read uh, John chapter 1? where John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Any of you ever read that and think, I don't know, I, I sense a little doubt in his voice right there. Any of you ever think that? Why, certainly not. Because when he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, that was the revelation that he had that he knew. This is the Spirit-filled man that is speaking according to the Holy Spirit. And he's the, he's the one that John told him about. When he comes, I'm not worthy to tie his shoelaces. And when he comes, I must increase and he must decrease. Uh, when he comes, uh, he, he, he is greater than I am. I mean, he just set the stage and prepared the way uh, for Jesus to come. And now Jesus is coming. He's doing everything he's supposed to do. But John's isolated in prison. And he said, go ask him. Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? And they went and told Jesus the words that John asked. Jesus sent back and said, well, why don't you just go tell him that what he read in Isaiah 61 is coming to pass right before everybody's eyes. All the prophecies upon the Messiah that would come are coming to pass upon the person of Jesus Christ. Yes, I am he that should come. Now, you go tell John, look down at verse number 4. Let's just read it, shall we? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things. This is from Isaiah 35 and 61. Go show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So he said, you go back and tell John, the prophecies that were made upon the Messiah are coming to pass upon me. So if you're wondering, am I he that should come? I am he that should come. Nobody else is healing. I said nobody else is raising the dead. Nobody else is making the lame to walk again and opening the blind eyes. Nobody else is doing what Jesus is doing. And he said, you go tell John that I am he. But then he answers uh, with one more line. Look in verse number 6. And tell John this also. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Huh. Isn't that something? So the final thing that Jesus had for his, John's disciples to take the message back to him would be this. You tell John, yes, the prophecies are being fulfilled upon me, but you tell him one other important line. You're going to know my blessedness, John, not when you are out of prison like you think you should be. Blessedness does not come because you are getting to do what you want to do. 
Jesus said, blessedness, come on, and all that's encompassed in that word. I'm not going to take time to develop that word. All that is encompassed in blessedness, here's what he said. Blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. In the process of following me, and offenses come that are related to following Jesus Christ, the person that's going to know blessedness is not the person that's having the easy road, not the person that never seems to have any problem, not the person that never seems to have any opposition. The blessedness is going to come to those who indeed know what it is to have an offense come, a stumbling block come, a trip stick in the way, but blessed is the person who isn't stopped by it. That's where the blessedness lies. That's what Jesus says to John. You know what would do good for all of us? To take the words that Jesus said to tell John as though he said them to us. Because he had John's name here, but I could put my name there, and what he said to John is what he's saying to me. Sam Davison, you want to know blessedness? You can't stop when there's a trap stick. You can't stop when there is a stumbling block. You can't stop because there's an obstacle. You can't stop because you got hurt. You can't stop because you got embarrassed. You can't stop because you had a failure or somebody else's failure affected you. You can't stop by that. You want to know the blessedness that he talked about in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are they that mourn. You want to know how to have that blessedness? Come to the place in your life when you are not offended, when you cannot be stopped by any obstacle. Well, it's just a part of my personality. I'm easily offended. Well, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you're not who you used to be. We're new creatures. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And part of His life in us affects how we deal with that kind of adversity and that kind of obstacle, that kind of pain. I'm not minimizing the significance of pain. You you don't try to serve the Lord for 50 or 60 years and not have pain. Disappointments, hurts, heartaches, stab in the back here and there. You, You don't seriously follow Jesus and not have that stuff. It's almost like he knew what he was saying when he said, it's impossible, but that offense has come. <laughs> Somebody didn't get that. I said, it's almost like he meant that. Well, he did mean it. And it must needs be that offenses come. Well, how is it you could never be offended? How does that work? Well, you read it with me right there in the psalm. So let's go back to the 119th psalm, shall we? And let's look down there again when... David is uh, saying, the psalmist is saying in verse number 161, princes have persecuted me. So, uh, what's this? Princes have persecuted me without a cause. Did you ever read about David's life? Significant people came out against him. uh, And without a cause. I'm just talking about Saul sought to kill him, sought his life without any reason. If Saul just had any thing between his ears and a heart for God, he would have recognized that David would be the best friend that he would have on this earth. And he's trying to kill him. And so David is just reflecting back, if he's the psalmist here, he is reflecting back and said, Princes have persecuted me without a cause. My heart standeth in awe of thy word. Watch this. I rejoice at thy word. And it begins where he's talking about the word, the word, the word. And you know the 119th Psalm. What are there, two or three verses that don't have some reference to the law of God, the commandments of God, the precepts of God, the word of God? On and on it goes. The several uses of the uh, uh, terms that describe the word of God. And he said, I rejoice at thy word. And he said, I hate and abhor lying in verse 163. I love the law of God. Verse 164, seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. He had to understand the judgments, the word of God. He understood them. 
And then he said in verse 166, I, I not only have hoped in thy salvation, I have done what your word says. Can I have your attention just a minute? David just didn't know what God's word said. He acted upon what God's word said. I was just in my Bible reading this morning, and it had to do with, uh, I'm in the book of 2 Kings. And so, you know, David has had the mess up in his life. And when it talks about the transition of kings and everything, it talks about David's life and how he walked perfectly with his heart before the Lord, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite and Bathsheba. And we know that he had the trouble numbering the people. Was he a perfect man? No, nobody ever read his life and thought he'd be a perfect man. But did he get up from obstacles, some of them created by his own lust and his own sin? Did he get up from that? He got up from that. Humbled himself for God and kept going and finished the race and has that kind of a testimony, see. And so David says, yes, I've sinned, but I've gotten up and I did thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts. You can see very clearly that the key to moving on, watch this, Past offense is directly related to our relationship to our attitude toward the Word of God. When I preached last night about how do you keep yourself in the love of God, how do you keep yourself in love with God? And he said, by building up yourself in the most holy faith. So we spent a large part of the sermon last night talking about the significance of giving attention to the Word of God. And so here we are again on the emphasis, the significance of the child of God and the Word of God. And whether you are offended with the offenses and the trap sticks and the obstacles and the things that can hinder and cause one to stumble, whether you are able to move on from that, again, is directly related to your relationship to the Word of God or relationship to God through His Word. Can't, can't under, you cannot overstate it. You, you cannot overestimate the importance of it. Did you ever think about what are some of the trap sticks? Let me just throw out some stuff. This won't be comprehensive. Enticements to sin cause people to stumble and go down. David Bathsheba, every time I read uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, I'm hoping it reads different. Amen. You know what I mean? It's just so sad, so disappointing that he looked and he lusted and he took and sinned against God. Enticements to sin. Who in here doesn't know about that? Enticements to sin. The men that uh, come from here to the men's recharge, they've not only heard it there, obviously. I mean, you hear this from faithful pastor and teaching and preaching and such as that. But the enticements of sin, uh, as you read the first 10, 11 chapters of the book of Proverbs, when he keeps talking about the strange woman and adultery and lust, and then if you sit in a pastor's chair and you're shocked time and time again about those that have been sucked in by pornography, the perversion, the billion plus dollar a year pornography, billions of dollars industry in pornography, sucked in by enticements to sin. But it's not just having to do with sexuality or morality in that sense. It also has to do with the enticement to mishandle money. Uh, my brother and I were talking the other day. My brother is uh, eight years older than me. And we were talking about something on the phone about years ago. And we were both remembering that a certain man had passed not that long ago. Or the man's son had passed. And the man was a very respected man in our hometown. Uh, and I, I must have been about 11, 12 years old at that particular time. He was a very, very respected man. And I mean, our town just got rocked by the fact this man was caught and worked in a bank. He was a banker and working in this bank and had embezzled thousands upon thousands of dollars, which the amount back in that day would have been a humongous amount. Today, it may not have looked as much, but it, who cares what the amount was? Here's a man that was a deacon with my dad at First Baptist Church in Perry. 
Here's a man that was respected by many, many people in the town. It's town, a community of 5,000 people. Everybody knows everybody pretty much. And here's this man, and I'll remember, I'll never forget how shaken and rocked my dad was by the fact that his friend was a thief, embezzled thousands and thousands of dollars for his own benefit, his own use. Enticement to sin. Yeah. So it could be greed, it could be lust, it could be the desire for power and authority abusing to be able to gain advantage or have, a, have some kind of a position, get elected to some kind of a position that they would identify with status that gave them some significance. Enticement to sin. Could be a student in here that would cheat on a test to do better. To get along. Enticements to sin. I'm not accusing anybody. I'm not trying to pour cold water on the surface. I'm just saying there are enticements to sin. And we're way too aware that there are people taken down by it. It's an obstacle. There's also persecution. Ridicule. Reproach. You know, if you and I are going to identify with Jesus Christ, we are to identify with the reproach of Christ. While you and I admire, adore, and love, and worship, and praise uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jews of that day, as well as the Roman culture that was in authority and in power, they looked at this Jesus as a disgrace. Totally out of step with the rest of the society. Totally out of step with the world. Calling people to a standard that nobody should have to live and such as that. And calling out sin and preaching repentance that people actually ought to change or they, uh, their mind and attitude about God and about sin and about Him. And if they did not, they would perish. That was not popular. They hated Him. They despised Him. Do you know what they... It says about Jesus that when he went to the cross, he was reproached at the cross. But here is the main reproach. He took the reproaches of them that reproached him. Excuse me, can I have your attention just a minute? It's our sin that is a reproach to God. It is our sin that is a reproach to God. And Jesus, who knew no sin, took the sin and bore the reproach of we who reproached him. Yeah, well, something in it. That's exactly what the Bible says. Then Paul's writing in the book of Hebrews. I think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Do you think he did? Well, that's good enough for me right there. See, there's two of us. So Paul wrote in the book of Hebrews. He said, let us therefore go outside the camp with him bearing his reproach. Do you know why there aren't more people living an openly Christian, godly life? Because they don't want the ridicule that comes with it. They don't want the reproach that comes with it. You know why? That as a kid, I confessed the other night. You know why? That I would go to school and kind of back off from the kind of zeal I had when I was at church. You know why? I didn't want the reproach. I didn't want the reproach. And the, and the reproaches, the persecution that comes with truly identifying, seriously identifying with Jesus Christ. Slander, jealousy. Anybody in ever been slandered? Anybody ever say anything to you that wasn't true or about you that wasn't true? Have you, have you ever had that happen in your life? Yeah, I have, and it's not a funny experience. Well, no, I've never seen anybody that says, I just love it when that happens. N nobody feels that way about it. But how are you going to respond to that? That's the real issue. Not are these things going to happen. They are going to have, happen. There's going to be enticement to sin. We're going to sin. I said we're going to commit sins along the way. We're going to, we're going to commit sins. Uh, we're going to avoid persecution or reproach along the way. And not be the kind of Christians and stand up like we are. It's not like we're going to do this whole thing perfectly uh, throughout the whole course. We're going to have our mistakes. We're going to have to experience. You identify with Jesus Christ. Somebody will say things about your devotion to Him that simply are not true. Like you're trying to be somebody. You're trying to be a holier than thou. You're trying to draw attention to yourself. All manner of pettiness. I can stop right there. There's just all kinds of petty issues that we have to deal with. There are major times of crisis and temptation. And then there is the pettiness of everyday living that we have to deal with. So how do you deal with that? 
Well, what did he say? Verse 165, he talks about the Word of God in uh, the 161 through 168, the 119th Psalm. He talks about that. And, and then he just simply says in verse 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Did you ever meet anybody that was easily offended? And everybody talked about the peace that they had. Well, no. Of course not. If you're easily offended, you don't have much peace. It's few and far between. I said, if you're easily offended, if you easily stumble, if the circumstances have to be just like you want them, or you may not keep following Jesus. Everybody's got to treat you like you. you, People walk on eggshells around you because they're afraid if they say something, you get offended real easy. Those kind of people don't have peace. Clarence Sexton told me one time, he's a preacher from Knoxville, Tennessee, if you don't know who he is, and uh, and I used to have a lot closer friendship than we do now, but nonetheless, he told me a long time ago, he said, Sam, spiritual-minded people take big problems and make them small. Carnal-minded people take small problems and make them big. Do you know that's what's torn up most churches? Most independent Baptist churches are not torn up by some major issue of fundamental doctrine. No, usually they're not torn up by some major moral misconduct in a church. Usually they're destroyed by a whole bunch of pettiness where there are simple or small-minded people, I should say, small-minded people who take little issues and make them bigger instead of spiritual people who will take big issues and make them smaller. See? And, and so, how does a person get there? Well, a person gets there by loving the Word of God. Now, excuse me just a second. If you love the Word of God, what does that mean, if you love the Word of God? Well, I, I'm just saying, last night we talked about keeping yourself in the love of God, and you keep yourself in the love of God by building up yourself on the most holy faith. And so, if you're going to love God, uh, how do you manifest your love for God? I, I'm asking a question. How do you, Jesus said, it, let's just go to his words. If you love me, somebody finish that for me. Keep my commandments. If you love me, do what I say. <laughs> how difficult is this? Can't understand the King James. It's too easy to understand. That's a lot of problems. People want something they don't understand quite so well. If you love me, keep my commandments. What did Jesus say after he finished the, upon finishing the Sermon on the Mount? How did he wind that up? A person that hears my words and does my words, a person that hears what I say and acts upon my word, Jesus said, I'm going to consider that man like a man that built his house upon the rock. And the storms came, and the obstacles came, and the surprises came, and the winds came. But his house stood firm because it was built upon the rock. Now, where'd that rock foundation come from? Knowing what he said and doing what he said. But I'm going to take the person that hears what I said and refuses to do what I say and look him, uh, consider him to be like the man that built his house upon the sand. Everybody went by and said, that looks good. But when the storms came, he wouldn't stand. Why? Because he heard, but he didn't do. What's Jesus simply saying? Well, what is he simply saying here? A great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Look at me just a second. Don't tell me, oh, I love the Word of God. I love the preaching of the Word of God. And you have bitterness. You harbor and won't confess as sin between you and God. Don't lie about it. If you love the Word of God, you'll act upon the Word of God. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you, my commandments are not grievous. That's what he said. My commandments are not grievous. And if you love the Word of God, do what the Word of God says. Yeah, but you don't understand what happened to me. I don't have to understand what happened to you. You're going to lay there and your journey's over? And live your life in bitterness and anger? And make everybody else's life around you miserable? No great peace associated with that kind of conduct. Now is there? Maybe I can think of some things nobody does. Let me see here. 
won't get so quiet in here. Yep. No, don't, 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 don't say, oh, I love the Word of God. If you love the Word of God, you love God. Somebody say amen. If you love the Word of God, you love God. John said, if a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. Or you don't have to talk so me. I didn't say that. That's what the book says. If a man says, I love God, and hates his brother, and hate doesn't mean, I hate him. It just means refusal to love. So if a man says, if a man says, I love God, or I love the Word of God, but he doesn't love people that God loves, he's lying. And is easily offended. What do you mean he's easily offended? He can't move on. What do you mean he can't move on? Well, how can you not love somebody Jesus loves and move on following Jesus? I said, how do you not love somebody Jesus loves and keep on following Jesus? Seems to me like you're going to get left behind here. Isn't that right? Since we're all so solemn and quiet, let me just ask the question. Anybody you refuse to love? Is there a race of people you refuse to love? That's a big issue in our day. But not our day alone. That's been going on for a long time. And not just relation to Caucasian and African American. Or African. White or black. No, it's issues across the board. Yeah. See. Great peace if they which love thy law. Um, what does it take to offend you? What if somebody says something about your kids? You're going to find another church? What if somebody says something about your wife or your husband? That's it. That's it. We're out of here. Well, yeah, because it can only happen here. It won't happen anywhere else. See what I mean? Well, I'm not saying laugh about it. I'm not saying it's not painful. It just has nothing to do with whether I'm supposed to follow Jesus or not. I got involved in a number of years ago in a large group of preachers and, you know, very heavily involved. And then things start going <laughs> this way. I'll, I'll do your, this way to the left, way to the left. And, you know, tried to fight the fight and, and uh, pull it back to center and right and where we're supposed to be with the Word of God. The Word of God's narrow. Jesus talked about a narrow path <laughs> and a broad path. So the, the Word of God, you know, it's yes, sir. And, and I remember in the process of all of that, I, I have at uh, my house, we moved and I went through some of this stuff. We moved from the house we'd lived in a long time and I went through a couple of boxes of emails back in those days in the late 90s it was email chat rooms instead of all the social media stuff they have now it was inter internet or let's see email chat rooms and stuff and some of the I never had a computer so I never saw any of it all I had is what people gave me and people kept sending me stuff or sending it to my secretary and she'd give it to me and everything and I just decided to save it now why would you save a bunch of stuff when they're when they are just yeah, I mean, taking shots and just saying things that are outlandish and lies, and some of it's coming from preachers and, and missionaries and stuff like that. Why would you save that? Well, I don't know. I just kind of saved it because uh, I, I kind of wanted a reminder of things, and I thought I might use this illustration to try to help. But you know what I did with those? I remember when they kept coming in, like in stacks like this. I remember what I did. I had an office back behind the baptistry there. Did you ever see my little office back there? And that's where I did my study and everything. I just took that stuff back there, and I just had a chair where I prayed, and I just laid it out there, and I said, Now, Lord, here's what they're saying about your servant. I have no control over this. I want to do the right thing. I want you to speak to me and convict me of what's right and what's wrong. 
And a lot of this stuff is just nothing but pure slander. And I'm taking it. I'm leaving it with you. You told me to cast my care upon you. And this is to the best of my ability. I'm casting this care upon you. Now I want you to take care of this because I have a church to pastor. I have children at home. I have a wife to take care of. And I have sermons to prepare for this Sunday. And doors to knock. And hospital visits to make. And funerals to perform. And revivals to preach. I don't have time to sit around and worry what a bunch of knuckleheads are saying. That they don't have a clue what they're talking about. And they're lying right through their teeth. So I just want you to take care of this, Lord. And take care of it. Man. That is, that is just so healing. Lord, you love them. Some of those guys, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know the course at all. Some of them are still preaching. Some of them are still pastoring. I'm sure God dealt with them in their own way. God didn't have to tell me how he dealt with it. I said when I gave it to him, he didn't have to tell me how he dealt with it. I don't know how he dealt with it. I just know what I'm supposed to be doing. And it gives you such a sense of peace when you're not in the business of trying to straighten out everybody and set aright every little wrong that's come along in your life. And make sure that you get others involved too. And make sure you got some people on your side. How petty... How carnal, how selfish can we be? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Are you listening to this here? Some of those emails, or let's just say, any kind of hurt that you take, when you're offended by it, you know what you should realize? I have a bigger problem than them. I am no more spiritual than they are. Does everybody listen to this? What are you supposed to do? Love God. Love His Word. Get in the Bible. Love His law. Great peace have they which love thy law. And what did He say? Nothing? What do you want me to do? Go to the Hebrew and find out what nothing means? Now, in the Hebrew, nothing means, let's see, nothing. It means nothing. Nothing shall offend them. I'm not accusing. I'm not in any shape to accuse anybody. But are you sitting here tonight offended by something that happened last week or last month? Or last year? Or just 2021, last century? Are you? Yeah, well, if you knew what they did, you have a bigger problem than them. Because if you love the Word of God, you'd be moving on. I said you'd give that thing to God and move on. And have peace. And when you're not worried about everybody's opinion, and you're not worried about everything doing right by you and by your precious little children who you cannot allow anybody to ever correct or offend them. Uh, many parents don't correct their children at home and they sure don't want them corrected anywhere else. And should somebody try to correct the little child, then, <laughs> then uh, uh, offense comes. I, I'm, I'm not accusing. But are you sitting here offended about something tonight? Can't you look in the mirror of the Word of God and see, I have a spiritual problem. Because I've been hung up on this thing and my spiritual life hasn't been the same. I haven't enjoyed the music. I haven't enjoyed the preaching. I haven't enjoyed the Word of God. I haven't enjoyed fellowship with God. I haven't had the peace of God. I've had none of this since that offense came. Are you offended about something? Yes, but if you knew what it was, well, I know what it says about you. You don't love the Word of God. Tell me I don't love the Word of God. <laughs> Easy now. You're supposed to have peace. If you <laughs> love the Word of God. Great peace. Great, great. He didn't say peace. It, you study the Word out. If peace is this big, great peace is this big. Literally. Study the Word out. It's amazing. If peace is like this, great peace is like this. Have they which love thy law. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace. Yeah. Lord, if you'd just help us tonight to understand that offenses are going to be a reality of life. 
They do not come without purpose. They don't come without your permission. They do not come without purpose. They do not come without your permission. If somebody is in this room tonight and they know their spiritual journey came to a screeching stop ever since they were offended. It hurt. And they thought they shouldn't be hurt. It was humiliating. Painful. Embarrassing. And they've never moved on. If that's the case, in any life in this room, my prayer would be that there would be a new commitment to love your word. And to love the word is to act upon the word. And to act upon the word and love your word is to experience peace that can't be hindered by obstacles. It's not like we won't be aware that there are obstacles. It just doesn't change our walk. It doesn't mean that we never feel the pain. We just don't stop the journey. And it's directly related to our devotion to your precious word. Yes, we majored upon that last night and here we are again. And maybe there are people in this room that know they depend on the preacher, they depend on the teacher, they depend on their mates uh, walk with you and they are really not into putting their face in the Bible and learning to fall in love with your word. Oh God, your commandments are true. I wanted to go to that part in the previous sections, about three sections prior, that talks about the understanding that we give. I'm not bitter towards that person. I understand how that can happen. I'm not bitter about that circumstance. I understand that my life can't be exempt. I am a fallen person in a fallen world. I understand that God allows these things in my life not to destroy me, but to grow me. Oh God, your word gives wisdom. It gives understanding. And if there are those in this room that need a new commitment to truly love your word and know this kind of life, a great way to live, never offended. Never offended. I love it when somebody says, Now, Brother Sam, I don't mean to offend you. I love it that inside I can say, You can't. You can't. Unless I'm not where I'm supposed to be in relation to your word. They don't even have the ability to offend me. Oh, great peace, great peace. Have they which love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. Nothing. Now I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work. I don't know but what somebody is here that's never been saved. This hasn't been a message primarily addressed, obviously, to those that are without Jesus. But if there's somebody that knows, I'm not going anywhere in the matter of peace till I get this sin matter settled. I need to trust Jesus as my Savior. May they come tonight to be saved. This will be a great night to be saved. And I pray for your people that our devotion and commitment to your word that we would experience, oh God, we will experience. When our devotion to your word is as it ought to be, we will experience this thing called great peace, directly related to our devotion to your precious word. Bless this invitation for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? We're going to have a time of invitation. If God's dealt with your heart, you want to do some business with the Lord, Maybe you see, maybe it's like you've looked yourself in the mirror and see, I'm hung up.
I'm going nowhere. I haven't dealt with offense. I haven't handled it in a biblical manner. I've justified my bitterness. I've wallowed in the pain for the purpose of self-pity. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. God's dealt with your heart. You want to talk to him about something? The invitation's 